You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. Uh, well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you today on this cold day. Uh, it's good also, as was introduced uh, by Chris and by John, to be uh, fixing our eyes now, getting ourselves ready uh, in this season of uh, Advent. And we're going to be flicking around through a few different sort of books in the Bible today. Uh, and actually, we're probably going to start off around Luke, although we will come back to Micah a little bit later, uh, sort of floating, floating around between our, uh, Genesis and Isaiah and Micah and Luke. Uh, But before we do, let's ask for the Spirit's help this morning. Uh, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, uh, the one whom we adore and the one whom we love and the one whom we worship. And we pray, Lord, that as we open up your word today in this uh, amazing time of year, uh, that, Lord, you will not allow us to come with a sense of over-familiarity, Uh, Holy Spirit, that you would stop us in our tracks. Uh, That Holy Spirit, you would silence all the noise outside, uh, the rushing, everything. And that you would prepare our hearts now, Holy Spirit, uh, to hear your word once again and to come and to marvel at the truth of God sending his one and only Son. And so, Lord, for this, we need your help. We confess our need. Uh, We confess not only our love, but our our deep need for you this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you would come, you would work in our hearts and in our church. And for the glory of your amazing and matchless name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So so here we are again. It's the Christmas season. I don't know if you're noticing, but it just seems to be me. Maybe I'm just getting slightly older and grumpier every year. But you just seem to notice... Don't nod. You just seem, you just seem to, to, to notice that Christmas just is coming earlier and earlier every year. Is it, is it just me? But literally, all the decorations and everything's getting carted out. I'm pretty sure I clocked it around the end of September. I'm pretty sure I did. I mean, it's just ridiculous now just how early the Christmas scene, uh, the Christmas, uh, scene is, is, is coming upon us. Uh, just the whole sort of commercialised aspect of it all is just in your face before you've even sort of got past, or you're coming to the end of summer. Here it is, Christmas, and it's like they just wheel out all of the gimmicks and all of the celebrate, uh, and sorry, all the decorations and everything. And I'm sure as soon as Christmas is finished, and they just wheel out all the Easter stuff, and it's just this continual sort of mechanism or uh, this conveyor belt, isn't it, of all of these things in which different ways uh, are are. Our, 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 our society and all these big sort of companies and businesses can, can make money. It just seems to be creeping up on us more and more, and, and they're throwing more and more in. So Halloween has become a, a, a something that's just far more commercialised now. This whole idea of Black Friday over here now is becoming more and more commercialised. So all of these different types of events and activities are just becoming bigger and bigger, and, and we're being encouraged to spend more and more and more money. Now, I think it's quite interesting if, uh, if you speak to people about what their perception is of Christmas. 
for some, uh, I guess at a, at a basic level, it's about God, but maybe it's in some sort of a, a mythical sense. So if, certainly if you speak to my family, uh, some of them, half of them are southerners and half of them are, are proper full-on northerners up in Carlisle. And so they would, they would understand in some way it's about God, but in, maybe in some sort of detached mythical sense that God's up there, sort of this uh, guy up in the clouds, this sort of ancient sort of fairy tale type figure. And that's what Christmas is about, superstition and fables and myths and we still carry on celebrating it's not really about Jesus it's about having a good time and family and, and all the rest of it I, I don't know what your your experience is talking to people about what they think Christmas is is about maybe some people could if you're sort of around maybe my age or maybe even younger and you're fortunate to have gone to a school uh, where they teach you around this time that uh, that Christmas is a fact, in fact, about the birth of Jesus, right? So if you're like me and you're born around sort of 1980 and before, you would have gone to school, you would have sang the carols and you would have done assemblies and you would be very familiar with the nativity play. I'm, I'm sure that still happens now, but certainly stronger uh, maybe back then, a few decades ago. And it's slowly, slowly, slowly uh, tailing off, isn't it? But some people then, my age and older, would understand that Christmas is about Jesus. But I would dare to say, less and less so, that it's about the birth of Jesus. Now, speak to your average person, and again, they will give you an array of opinions as to what Christmas is about. Now, uh, through conversations with people in Reddish and around Stockport, it seems that our particular context, this area right here around the mill, for example... Uh, people still have some attachment to, to Christianity. So I think, in fact, if you look at the latest census, still a, a great deal of people identify with being Christian. Okay, they might not be what we would maybe term as, as committed Christians, but they still, rather than tick anything else on the box, would say they are, they are Christian, right? Over atheists. So, so atheism, of course, or people uh, sort of saying that's what they belong to now, is on the rise, we know that. Okay, but still, I find it very interesting that the majority of people in this area, rather than tick nothing or atheist, they would just tick Christian. And that to me shows that there is in fact an, an openness in this area. They might not be devoted Christians, as we've looked at, but they would identify with Christian over anything. Because, again, because of their... Uh, uh, their family situation, the way in which they were brought up, maybe their grandparents or maybe their parents had a stronger Christian connection. So you don't need to go very far in our community when speaking to people to say, actually, my mum used to go to church or my grandparents used to go along to Sunday school or something like that, yeah? So within our community here on our doorstep, there is still this sort of loose if loose connection to Jesus in some way. Some understand it's about Jesus and his birth. Many more aren't sure, and many, I'm sure, still uh, do not care, simply don't care about the fact that it's all about Jesus. And I find this so remarkably sad. I wonder how you find that this morning, that everything that's going on right now, that so few people stop and realise it's actually all about Jesus. I find that so sad. In fact, let me, let me be bold. When we see what Christmas has become, when we walk down the high street, when we turn on our TV, when we pick up all the social media uh, channels and see what it's become, that what we in the West, us created beings, have done, 
I would say, or I'd be so strong or bold as to say, that we have perverted what Christmas is really about. We have perverted the sublime, the magnificent, and we've made it something that it is not, which is, alongside the resurrection, the most momentous, sublime news that we have ever heard, that God came to earth, Jesus came to earth and is with us. And instead, we have embraced this cultural narrative which I think is so destructive and so sad and will never give people what they are truly longing for and made for. But we must not be naive. This is not a problem that Christians are immune to. Too many Christians have bought into the commercialism of what Christmas is, in fact, uh, what... the commercialism of what they perceive Christmas to be. For example, and I'm not here to point the finger, I'm asking myself these same questions, right? Many Christians, when making their Christmas plans, don't think, firstly, how and where am I worshipping Jesus on this magnificent day, right? The first thing, if we're being honest, that comes into our heads, perhaps, is... Where am I going off to have my roast turkey and Brussels sprouts? Or if, like me, you hate Brussels sprouts, where am I going off for my roast turkey and pigs and blankets or whatever the guff is that you guys like having around Christmas Day, yeah? That's what comes into our head. Who am I spending Christmas with? What am I eating on Christmas Day? These things have now become the, or take precedence in our lives and in our thought process over to what Christmas Day is all about. Is it just me? Maybe I'm just a bad guy in the room right now. Or maybe that's actually what has started to seep into our thought process about Christmas. Many Christians, when making their Christmas plans, ask yourself that question, like I've had to. What am I thinking about when it comes to Christmas Day? Am I thinking about where am I, whether I'm a a single, or whether I'm with my mates, or whether I'm with my family? Where am I meeting or coming to God to thank him for what Christmas is about? Where am I worshiping? How am I worshiping Jesus on this deeply profound and amazing day? Stop and think about that just for a moment. Because I think actually it's a a, a great injustice. Now, I'm not saying let's uh, go Oliver Cromwell, okay, and let's bring in an ordinance that uh, outlaws celebrating Christmas around this time of year. I'm all in. I'm all in for Christmas, celebrating, getting the decks out. I'm staying around someone's house at the moment. I don't know if I'm allowed to. But, okay, I'm all in for all of that. I love all the chintz and putting up all of that stuff and getting fully involved with, with all of them, making Christmas special. So I'm not saying... Don't have fun or don't celebrate or don't gather with your families and eat, drink and be merry. I'm not saying that. But I I do think we need to be very careful as Christians with what's happening in our culture, the secularization, that if you like post-Christian context and all those words, that we need to be careful as Christians that this isn't seeping into our life. And so I ask us again that question. When we come to Christmas, when we think of the beauty and the majesty of that day, how am I going to recognise that this Christmas and during this period? Is that a fair question that I think we can all ask together as a church? 
Now, in this, uh, in this church, uh, some of us will come from different traditions, I'm sure. In this period, uh, building up to Christmas Day, we know it as Advent. Uh, Chris has said a little bit earlier, the Latin word for Advent just literally means coming to the coming, the coming to us, and that's applied both in the first sense and the second. And in the first sense today, it's speaking of the, the coming of Jesus, the incarnation on that day when he came to earth as a babe. And we as a church are using this period to, to focus on Jesus, and that's why we've got those Advent books that John has spoken about. That's why we've got the Advent study in home groups that Sue Stout has prepared for us. I would encourage you all to get involved, because here is what happens. We, even as believers, have this tendency to get sucked in, to forget the sublime, to take on what's going on around us, and we too can buy into that myth. And we're not going to do that as a church this year. We're going to encourage one another to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. This season is about Christ and making him known. The coming of our Lord is not a myth. It's not a fable. It's not some made-up story. And we should be filled with confidence at this time of year that this, is, this actually happened. It's as Second Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths where we, when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter is saying this is not a myth, this is not a fable. He's aware of what's going on and how we have a, this tendency as humans to turn things into nice superstitious religious sort of events. He's saying it's not. It's about the majesty of Jesus. The majesty, isn't that a wonderful word? The majesty of Jesus. We need to recover something of the sense, a sense of, of the awe and the majesty of what's taking place around this time. It's sublime. It's outrageous. It's good news. Is anyone with me today? Can I get anyone to second me on that? Yes, thank you very much. It is sublime. It is outrageous. It is amazing. So turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Luke picking up something of this, also aware of the fact that there are lots of rumours and lots of different ideas of what the birth of Jesus is all about, seeks in his articulate and professional way to detail very clearly what it is and what it isn't. And so you would know that Luke is writing to Theophilus. And he says, In as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, talking about the birth of Christ and the life and ministry of Christ, the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, he says, verse 2, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seems good to me also, having followed all these things closely, remember this is under the meticulous eye of a doctor here, okay, a doctor, and he's saying, I've, I've gone through this meticulously, and I'm writing them down for you, it seemed good for me to do that, having followed everything closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. That, and this is the key point here, okay, verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. That you may have certainty. And it's exactly that phrase that I want to emphasize for us today as we go into this Advent and this Christmas, Christmas se uh, season. Knowing with certainty 
what it's about. As you go into your workplaces, into your schools, as you teach your children at home, as you meet with your friends, that you know with certainty what this season is all about. And the first glorious points I want us to know about Christmas, and we're going to look at this over our Advent series, the first glorious point I want you to know with certainty, with absolute certainty, that at the heart of this Christmas message is the fact that Jesus Christ came for sinners. Are you with me, church? That Jesus Christ came to earth for sinners. You say, Pastor, that's not the Christmas spirit, is it? To which I say, I'm sorry, but it's true. And I'm duty bound to say it because the scriptures teach us this that Christ came to the world for sinners. I think uh, most of us listening today know that Christmas is, in fact, about Jesus' birth. But actually, if, if you think about it, just, just think it out logically. Jesus coming to earth in this sort of lovely nativity scene, in and of itself, doesn't tell us enough, does it? Doesn't tell lost people enough, does it? That Jesus just came to earth as, as this meek and mild child in a stable. I mean, what on earth is that supposed to mean to the good people of Reddish or Heaton Moor? Christmas is about Jesus' birth. He's the reason for the season. What does that even mean? So we've got to go beyond this in our understanding and the message that we share. It can't just be about these things, although that is, the, if you like, the, the starting point of Jesus' ministry. And why do we do that? Because actually what we will see in all of the gospel accounts is that there is this direct correlation between Jesus coming that is God with us, Emmanuel, and our sin, the reason why he came. There's a direct correlation all the way throughout scriptures, okay, promising the coming of Jesus and in the New Testament, why he came. He came for our sin. So if you don't believe me, fine. God bless you. Let's take a look. Let's detail all the way, let's go all the way back to Genesis, okay, Genesis uh, chapter 3. Well, what does this tell us by going all the way back to the Genesis, the very beginning, this ancient book, all the way back, that's what Genesis means in the beginnings. What does this teach us? Well, it shows us and teaches us that the coming of Jesus to save sinners wasn't some afterthought of God, but it was planned from long ago. The Bible, the scriptures even tell us, since before the beginnings of the world. And we see it here in Genesis, that since the very beginning... God's great and wonderful plan, when it all went wrong, was to send someone to save us from our sins. So chapter 3, what do we read? Genesis. We read about how sin came into the world, what went wrong, and why things are today the way that they are. We read about human rebellion. We read, prior to that, that we were, were made to love and be with God to steward the earth and creation uh, that he gave us. But instead, we chose, we see this uh, story of how we chose from our first uh, father and mother all the way throughout human history, how we chose to satisfy our own desires and to not believe God, but to rebel from what he told us to do. And that is what sin is, to rebel against God. 
And the result is something so tragic that everything that was given to us of God that is good and very good, that what he's given to us to enjoy has become distorted and broken and a mess. And that's why we see today the tragedies around the world. That's why we see and witness what we perhaps have seen in the news even this last week. Some of the stories that have come out over the last week have been so tragic. Have you seen some of the tragedies that have come up in the news in different countries and about the way in which some parents have been treating children? Just so tragic. And the Bible tells us all along why. Why this is happening. Why this is happening. All the way down from... Adults and evil people, all the way down to the nature of a child, a two-year-old, and I've got one, and their defiance, and their rebellion. The Bible tells us what's in the heart of man. It also details to us in Genesis 3 uh, that the breaking of God's law, this rebellion against God, has brought upon the human race a great curse. A great curse over everyone that's ever lived since. And not only that, but a a great shame has come upon the human course that we, God's creation, would rebel against our creator. And this shame has caused us to hide from God because of the state that we are now in. So if you turn to Genesis 3.15, you'll see, look how, sorry, verse 10, see how Adam responds to his sin by trying to cover up his shame which we see is the consequence of his sin. But here is the problem. God has given us his commands. We are in rebellion, and no amount of hiding or covering it up can take away the problem. You can't do it. You can't cover it up with fig leaves. You can't run or hide from God. You can't be like Jonah, who even in the belly of the whale was found. You can't be like the prodigal son who ran away and tried to get away from God distant lands pursuing a life of pleasure because even there still God will be with you and find you and maybe some of us are in that state this morning we've run from God we've suppressed the truth or maybe we've never acknowledged him as the great creator and bowed the knee to him and given our hearts to him you cannot run from from God David says in his psalm where can I flee from your presence Lord If I go up into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. You cannot hide from God. The Bible says that some of you are doing that even right now. And the Bible says that it's a miserable state to be in. It's miserable in the belly of the whale. It's miserable in a pig pen. Sin messes things up. And what we need is someone to put it right to save us from this state. And here in chapter 3, verse 15 of Genesis, in what uh, scholars call the proto-evangelion, which means the, the, the first type of gospel that we see, a foreshadowing of the gospel, where you read that instead of destroying this rebellious world, that someone will come from the offspring of a woman who will bruise the head of the serpent, and that person is Jesus. From the very beginning we see God's master plan of salvation the reason why he came the reason why we celebrate Christmas planned from long ago in the garden and before then before the beginnings of the world that God would send someone to destroy the works of the devil to bruise the enemy's head now we don't have time to go through all of the Old Testament 
Uh, but what we see, you'll be glad to hear, uh, but what we see in every single book, every single book in the Old Testament, is a foreshadowing or promise leading towards that day that we celebrate, that he would come. Let me give you just a few. Isaiah tells us that there would be a time, a time would come when the virgin would bring forth a child and his name would be Emmanuel, God with us, when God would actually visit our planet. Uh, He says uh, later on that uh, this person that would come would be despised. He would bear our griefs. He would carry our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He would be afflicted. He would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be crushed for the things we've done wrong. Upon him was the chastisement that would bring us peace. This is Isaiah speaking, saying that by his wounds, though, we would be healed. Isaiah says, we like sheep have all gone astray. We've seen that from Genesis. We have turned everyone, even this preacher, to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, this person who would come, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he didn't open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before his shearers is silent. He opened uh, not his mouth. So this is the promise of someone to come. And what he would do, he would save his people. And then if you flick through to to, to Micah, uh, verse 5, And verse uh, 2, sorry, chapter 5 and verse 2, again, God speaking for his prophets, speaking of this day when someone would come to save their people. But you, O Bethlehem, where was Jesus born? But you, O Bethlehem, okay, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for, for me. One who is the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient day of days, from ancient days. All of them prophesying the same thing, that God has a plan of salvation. God is sending someone to save his people from their sin. And in the garden, what we have seen is people living in sin, living in darkness, living in rebellion, longing for the day when they would be set free. And we see that all throughout the Bible narrative, people longing for that day when light would come and they would be set free, all the way back to the garden, the one that Isaiah and Micah prophesied about. Even the gospel writers, the eyewitnesses, understand this. They proclaim that Jesus' coming is the fulfilment of those prophecies, that he is the Messiah, that he has come to rescue his people. That's what Christmas is firstly all about. Jesus coming to save his people. Think about that. You sit here now as free men and free women because of that great and awesome plan. God sent Jesus for you. Just, just, just think it through. Think it through in heaven what that must have looked like as God and Jesus read it and said, I'm going, Father. And all the angels in awe and amazement that Christ would leave heaven to come to die for you. And I, that's what Christmas is about. That's what we need to, to recapture again. 
Something of the awe and splendor and majesty of Christmas. And, and here is what uh, he has done for you, if you don't know, or if you need reminding this morning. This is why we as believers celebrate Christmas and gather as God's people in thankful adoration and worship. Because not only did Jesus come for you, but he came with a mission. Unlike Adam, he lived a perfect life of obedience. Unlike Adam, he never sinned. Why? 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 So that as the blameless and perfect one, he could offer himself up as a sacrifice to God in our place and take our punishment upon the cross that we deserve. And here's what else he has done for us. These are the things that we think about during Christmas, not just Easter. And not just, in fact, Christmas, but all throughout the year, that as we think about what he has done upon that cross, he took our sin. And he took also our shame upon himself too. Everything we have ever done wrong, past, present and future, laid upon him. Laid upon him. Our shame that has caused us to to run and to hide, he has taken and forgiven and banished that we should never feel it again. And wait, there's more yet. Upon that cross, he defeated the one who would cause us to carry on living in that sin and shame. The serpent, the one that would bruise the head of the serpent. Jesus upon the cross, hear me now. Jesus upon the cross completely and utterly destroyed the works of the devil. He did what we could not do for ourselves. Everything that we try to fill our lives with, to hide the shame, mask the shame, find peace, find understanding in our lives. He has fulfilled it all upon the cross and offers it to us. He has saved us. Colossians chapter 2, 13 to 15 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, when you were dead, God made you alive with Christ. It's Christmas. It's part of the plan. Jesus coming to earth as a baby. God has made you alive with Christ. He has forgiven all of your sins. Everything. Everything you you have ever done, are doing, have done, will do in the future. Forgiven. At the cross. Completely. Total forgiveness. He has, verse 14, cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, and condemned us. The guilt, the shame. He's taken it away and nailed it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authority he has made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them upon the cross that's what it's all about Jesus coming to earth dying for us nailing our sins and our shame to the cross that we might live and be his children You can get excited, friends, about putting that Christmas tree up and all those Poundland decorations. I will too. But this is what really excites me, thinking through what Christmas is all about. This is what excites me, remembering and retelling the story of Jesus, our Saviour, my Saviour. And as we begin to wrap up, remember this. Dear brothers and sisters, as we know with certainty what Christmas is about, point number one, that it's about Jesus coming to the world to save sinners, us of which I am the worst, you are the worst, we are the worst, Christ coming to save us. Remember that it doesn't stop there. 
true peace, freedom and forgiveness of our sins are privileges of God's people alone. Privileges of God's people alone. There are still people trapped in darkness, prisoners to sin, living in shame, and we have now been called during this time of year to go and tell what Christ has done, what Christmas is truly all about, that Jesus has come for you. Church, in, in conclusion, short point, it's Christmas. Jesus has come. He's seen us trapped in darkness, living in shame, hiding from God, prisoners to sin, and he has given up everything. That's what we say in, what theologians say, the great humiliation, he left heaven, came to earth, stooped down low, cloaked his glory by taking on human flesh to come to earth, lowly Bethlehem, in a manger, surrounded by ordinary people and animals, light of the world, son of God, prince of peace, the great I am, here with his people, to rescue them. Isn't that amazing? That's what Christmas is about. Isn't that breathtaking? Shouldn't that make our, our spines tingle again? Lord, help us. Help this story to not become familiar. Help us to capture the awe of what this is about. This is what Luke wants you to know. That's what he means when he's writing to Theophilus. He doesn't just want Theophilus to, to know about these things. He wants them to know with certainty. To know them in his heart because they are real in our hearts. Not just to make a good story, nice for some people, but Luke is sharing what he knows and has seen to be true. Jesus saves. Brothers and sisters, do you know that this, this morning? Can we stop? Can we pause as we enter this season? The busyness, the hustle, the bustle. The... To just stop and remember what it's about. Jesus came and rescued us. What a wonderful story and a song we have to sing and tell others. May, may God help us by his Holy Spirit. Let, let, let's pray. And uh, church, I've had to do some digging around in my own heart. Uh, but I wonder if anyone recognises what I do in my own flesh that I make Christmas about so much else, so many other things, so many other plans. And it's very easy to lose devotion to what it's all about. And maybe some of you, you know you're already there, maybe some of you, you're worried you'll end up there. This is just a time where we come now. This is not even between you and I, I'm just speaking. This is between you and God. Acknowledging our frailties, acknowledging our propensity to wonder. And to just come to the Lord uh, by his spirit, having heard his word and say, Lord, I want Christmas to be about you. And I want to witness to that that you came to save us and if that is you if that is your heart's response would you 
just pray with me. Knowing that Almighty God is good and kind and loving, and here's our prayers. Father, we're, we're sorry, not just for this time of year, but all throughout the year, uh, where we make our lives first and foremost about us and not about you. Lord, this time of year during Advent, we are reminded as a church community again to prepare the way to fix our eyes upon you and to prepare our hearts. But Lord, we recognise uh, that we don't always do this or maybe we're in a place where we haven't. And so, Father, we bring, you bef- we bring before you now our hearts. You know where they're at. You know already. We cannot hide. You know everything. We bring them before you the one who has cast our shame away from us and our sin, defeated the enemy. And we pray, O good Father, would you by your Holy Spirit and your word help us to make much of Jesus this Christmas. We bring before you all of our anxieties, all of our worries, all of the hustle and bustle of life. And we pray that you would be central and Lord of it all. And that, Lord, we and our church would be witnesses to the Christmas truth that Christ came to die for sinners. Help us with this great task, we pray. Lord, please help anyone in this room for whom that's a very real real prayer this morning. Lord, by your Spirit, be balm to their soul. Let them know they're loved. And bless us, we pray, for we are your people. Amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.